I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Food allergies are far more common than you might think. The CDC says that 1 in 13 children are susceptible. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. If a child is allergic to peanuts, even a tiny amount can trigger a severe allergic reaction. Anaphylaxis can be life-threatening. That's why families with allergies need to keep epinephrine available at all times. The standard approach to most food allergies has been strict avoidance, but that's really hard. Eating out can be challenging for kids and their parents. Is there a new way to overcome this 21st century epidemic? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, learn about oral immunotherapy to prevent life-threatening allergic reactions. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, there's growing evidence that adequate vitamin D may be important for protecting people against the complications of the coronavirus. A study just published in PLOS One analyzed mortality data from a Tehran hospital where COVID-19 was widespread. 235 patients were included. The scientists found that 9.7% of patients over 40 with adequate levels of vitamin D died from COVID-19. In comparison, 20% of those with vitamin D levels under 30 nanograms per milliliter succumbed to the infection. Biomarkers indicating inflammation were also lower in people with adequate vitamin D. Israeli researchers recently published related findings. They were able to use pre-existing health records of 4.6 million people, most of whom had been tested for vitamin D in the previous decade. They also had data on more than 50,000 patients who were infected with COVID-19 and 524,000 individuals matched for sex, age, and location, but were uninfected. Their analysis demonstrated a highly significant correlation between vitamin D deficiency and COVID-19 infection. The authors conclude that vitamin D supplementation, especially in the form of liquid drops, provides significant protection against SARS-CoV-2 infection. This paper has been posted to MedArchive and has not yet been peer-reviewed. A study from South Korea suggests that 9 out of 10 people who recover from COVID-19 report symptoms weeks later. Some of the most common long-lasting complications include fatigue, troubles with the senses of both taste and smell, and brain fog. U.S. clinicians have noted that long haulers may also experience fever, muscle pain, and heart inflammation, known as cardiomyopathy. According to the CDC, COVID-19 can cause lasting health problems, even among younger people and those who had mild cases. Proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs, are widely used for a range of digestive disorders from stomach ulcers to heartburn. They were once perceived as extremely safe, so safe, in fact, that the FDA has permitted over-the-counter sales. There's now growing evidence that PPIs are associated with a number of serious side effects. The latest, published in the BMJ journal Gut, reveals a new complication. Researchers reviewed data from more than 200,000 participants in the Nurses' Health Study, the Nurses' Health Study 2, and the Health Professionals' Follow-Up Study. People who used proton pump inhibitors regularly were 24% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes over the decades. The absolute risk of developing this metabolic disorder was 7.4 per thousand person years among PPI users. That compares to 4.3 per thousand person years among the volunteers who did not take PPIs. Intermittent fasting has become a popular approach for weight control. The only problem is that there have not been many well-controlled trials of this eating strategy. Now, a study published in JAMA Internal Medicine throws the idea of time-restricted eating into question. The investigators at the University of California, San Francisco, recruited 141 overweight people to participate in a controlled trial. 105 completed the three-month study. The researchers randomly assigned the volunteers to time-restricted eating 
only between noon and 8 p.m., or continuous meal timing. In other words, one group could eat as they normally did, while the intervention group could have nothing to eat before noon or after 8 o'clock in the evening. The results were underwhelming. The time-restricted group lost roughly 2 to 3 pounds by the end of 12 weeks. The control group shed about a pound and a half during the same period of time. The difference was not statistically significant. The weight that was shed in the intermittent fasting group was mostly muscle rather than fat. The lead author was surprised by the results and said they show exactly why placebo-controlled trials are so important. Critics may complain that the time frame of the study might have contributed to the disappointing results. They suggest that time-restricted eating might be more effective earlier in the day. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Today we're talking about food allergies. The CDC estimates that 8% of American children suffer from serious allergies to foods such as eggs, milk, shellfish, peanuts, wheat, soy, or tree nuts. A sudden severe allergic reaction can be life-threatening. To help us understand what it's like to have kids with food allergies, we turn to Sloan Barnett. She's a lawyer, journalist, and author of Green Goes With Everything, Simple Steps to a Healthier Life and a Cleaner Planet. Barnett chairs the California Pacific Medical Center Foundation Board and is a member of the Leadership Council of the Harvard School of Public Health. She's also the co-author with Dr. Kari Nadeau of The End of Food Allergy, the first program to prevent and reverse a 21st century epidemic. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Sloan Barnett. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to speak with you because you experienced firsthand a problem that many people all over the world have had to go through, and that is food allergy with your children. Can you Tell us what happened that made you aware that you had a serious complication. You know, as crazy as it sounds, I didn't even know about food allergies. I mean, you hear people go into restaurants and they can't eat this or that, but I didn't really understand what it was. It was when we were living in New York, I had a little boy. He's now a big boy, but he was two years old and his heart was racing out of his shirt. Um, we couldn't understand what was wrong with him. We got scared. Um, at first, we thought maybe a fever. We called the doctor. We couldn't diagnose it in the house. And so we ran to the ER. And there they hooked him up with all kinds of monitors. And they diagnosed at that point that he had something called respiratory airways disease, otherwise known to the common folk like us as asthma. And they kept him in the ICU for two days, hooked up to all kinds of machines and medication. It was very, very frightening for new parents. And we didn't know anything about asthma. No one in our family going back multiple generations had asthma. And with that diagnosis, they said, we want your child to be tested for food allergy. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He doesn't have food allergy. He eats everything. There's no problem. They said, most kids who have asthma, many, I should say, can also have food allergies. So the right thing to do is to test him for all the various obvious foods. And that started with the nuts and of course the eggs and the dairy, et cetera. And they found amongst those tests that he was highly allergic to peanut. And believe it or not, we had no idea at all. And how frightening is that, that we could have been feeding our child peanuts and having him go into anaphylaxis in a place where we weren't ready to handle it at all. It is really frightening. What did you do then? Well, so um, we had to learn how to handle it, how to deal with it. Before Kari Nadeau, how did I deal with it? I went to a lot of doctors. I was told at that point, and understand this was a long time ago. My son's about to turn 20. But at that time, you know, avoidance was really the way that we dealt with it. And so everywhere we went, we talked about peanuts to waiters and to stores and in buying our foods. And we took all kinds of nuts because there's so much cross-contamination. We took all nuts out of our house permanently. But at that time, my understanding um, was that there was not much else we could do. We carried EpiPens everywhere we went. 
And then we moved to California and we happened to be at a wedding, true story, um, seated across from a fantastic couple. And we were talking about food allergy because we realized that this impacted so many. We just hadn't been exposed to it. We hadn't been listening. And they said, haven't you met Dr. Kari Nadeau? She's at Stanford and she lives so close to you. I said, no, we hadn't. And so we killed ourselves to get an appointment with Kari, which at the time was not an easy feat, still is not. And we ran down to Stanford and we met the fabulous six foot tall doctor, mother of five, who to meet in person is really one of the more special medical experiences I'll probably ever have. And Kari at that time, long time ago, was starting and doing and running clinical trials, both through Stanford, ours was through Harvard, and she agreed to sign up my son, Spencer, um, and then my daughter, Violet, who's allergic to all of the tree nuts, to two different clinical trials, again, one through Stanford and one through Harvard. And we started OIT, which was a very, very long and hard journey. Now, we should tell our listeners that OIT stands for Oral Immunotherapy. And we we will be talking with uh, Dr. Nadeau about that in just a little bit, but we'd like to hear about your experience. Yes. Um, it's a journey, as I've said. It's hard. Today, if I jump forward for a second before I'll go back and tell you what it was like, today my children um, are in the world and they don't carry EpiPens. And my daughter kisses boys. She'll die if she ever hears me say that. We don't worry. And my son's out in the world and goes to be with his friends and is starting college this week. And we don't worry. So it's a miracle. But it was a long, hard journey. And I like for people to know that. My kids were at the beginning. They were the pioneers of this. Um, they drove with me down to the hospital an hour and a half in each direction. People um, had much harder journeys, flew from all over the country, but we drove um, we were lucky, and we went every single week where it began. Our our actual trial began with a Zolaire shot, a drug that would allow them to tolerate their allergen more quickly. Um, I'll let Kari do the medical explanations, but basically it starts at a very, very tiny amount of peanut, let's say, for my son, tiny that wouldn't, wouldn't engender a reaction. And then as he's able, through these Zolaire shots, to have a little bit more and a little bit more. And they would feed it to him. Imagine a little kid, he was young in applesauce or in chocolate pudding. And we would sit there for hours and hours watching movies and reading books and trying to do a little bit of homework here and there. But it was hard. The Zolaire shots hurt. I like to say, maybe it's not the medical way, but I'm just a mom. It's a very viscous fluid. And so you can ask Kari about that. They are thick, heavy shots. My daughter would cry for hours before in anxiety over having these shots. My son was a little braver, but it was rough. And then they would be fed. This is the important thing I would say. They would be fed the food that they knew could kill them. And the anxiety around that, and we talk a lot about it in the book because I felt so importantly, and so did Kari, that we wanted people to understand the emotional piece of this. I think that's the part that's not talked about, is that these kids through OIT are being asked to eat the things that they've been told their entire lives will kill them. And imagine the fear, the anxiety that that causes both in the kids and obviously in the parents too. Now, of course, with Dr. Nadeau, you're in a hospital setting. It's very, very safe. The nurse is right there. They're constantly testing them, constantly taking their vitals. And again, in a hospital setting, this is safe to do. And today they can actually do it in a doctor's office as well, but always supervised. You cannot do this at home. And so we went every week and we would get an updose, a little bit more of the powder. The powder is very, very specifically determined and prescribed by Dr. Nadeau's program. And every week they could consume a little bit more, but they waited. You would consume a little bit more and a little bit more until the children had a reaction. And so they knew these kids that in the end, they would have a reaction. And imagine how scary that was. So they have a reaction. What happens? Well, in the perfect world, my son would get a stomachache. And that's kind of no big deal, right? And you would have some Pepto-Bismol and you'd move on. <laughs> my daughter had more serious reactions. She would vomit. Um, so our visits always ended up with vomiting. And, you know, that's not pleasant. We never had an anaphylactic reaction. But some kids do, and they're frightening for parents, for kids, for everyone, even for the doctor. 
So the the reaction really can go all the range from nothing to all the way to an anaphylactic reaction. Sloan, there are millions of people who have food allergies, and for many of them, they've been told you have to avoid the food, the peanuts, the cashews, the milk, the eggs. What have you learned, thanks to Dr. Kari Nadeau, and what would you like people to take away from your book, The End of Food Allergy? Hope. Hope is what this book is about. There is a solution. It's here, it's coming, and it's coming quickly to everywhere, to all over the world. Um, We were at the beginning. My children were pioneers. They were the experiments. And thank you for them to have endured what they did. But this is becoming easier. OIT is becoming more commonplace. And stars like Kari Nadeau are going to bring a solution, the end of food allergy to the world. And for that, we can have hope. Sloan Barnett, I'm wondering what you would like to tell all of those people who have been told they they actually must avoid peanuts at all costs, for example, or, or eggs, because if they if they consume the food that they're allergic to, they could die. That's really scary stuff. And a lot of folks are carrying around their EpiPens or their epinephrine injections. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. There is hope. And the end of food allergy for all is near. Right now, it's not everywhere, but OIT is gaining traction. Um, it started in clinical trials only. Now it's spreading throughout the world in doctor's offices. It must be done safely. It must be done carefully. But the great news is food allergy will not be with us forever. And thanks to doctors like Kari Nadeau, there is hope for all patients EpiPens for now, but not for always. Now, a lot of people may go to the internet and they can see, oh, you can test for food allergies. You can do it at home. Isn't this great? What's the risk uh, at home testing? Well, the risk is in food allergy is always anaphylaxis and possibly much worse. And so you have to be very, very careful with these things. And we repeat over and over again in the book, all treatment should be done under a doctor's supervision. And a doctor who really actually knows about food allergy with a background in immunology, I mean, these are serious, serious issues. And so nothing should be done on the internet. Nothing should be done without doctor supervision. And um, I hope we make that very, very clear in the book. You're listening to Sloan Barnett, author of Green Goes With Everything and co-author with Dr. Kari Nadeau of The End of Food Allergy. After the break, we'll discuss finding a doctor who's an expert in immunotherapy. We'll also learn about the emotional toll a serious food allergy can take on parents as well as children. Dr. Kari Nadeau will explain why food allergies have become a 21st century epidemic. Can vitamin D play a role in protecting kids from food allergy? We'll also find out about the importance of epinephrine, like an EpiPen, in case of a bad reaction. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy Podcast is supported in part by Cocovia Memory Plus. Cocovia cocoflavanols support both cardiovascular health and cognitive function by promoting healthy blood flow, transporting oxygen and nutrients to vital organs and muscles, including your heart and brain. Cocovia Memory Plus has 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, the plant-based nutrients from fresh cocoa that have been proven to help boost memory. Cocovia Memory Plus is backed by four clinical trials that demonstrate improvement in three different aspects of memory, long-term memory, spatial memory, and word recall. The studies show improved brain function in just eight weeks. You can try the benefits of Cocovia Memory Plus with a 25% discount off your first month. Use the code PEOPLES25. To get the full benefits, take it daily for eight weeks. Cocovia is offering People's Pharmacy podcast listeners a 10% discount on subscriptions. That code is PEOPLES10. Learn more at cocovia.com. 
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Memory Plus, a cocoflavanol supplement backed by four clinical studies that show significant improvement in three aspects of memory. More information at cocovia.com. Also by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. Today we're discussing a new and different approach to food allergies. The standard approach is strict avoidance of the allergens, but our guests have found that oral immunotherapy is a viable option. Sloan Barnett is a lawyer, journalist, and author of Green Goes With Everything. Barnett chairs the California Pacific Medical Center Foundation Board. She's co-author with Dr. Kari Nadeau of The End of Food Allergy, the first program to prevent and reverse a 21st century epidemic. Now, Sloan, not all doctors are created equal when it comes to food allergies, especially for children. How would a parent find an expert in food allergies, especially someone who might know something about immunotherapy? That's a great question. And the answer is not everyone has the privilege of Carinado. I say that all the time. But centers and doctor's offices who actually have the experience are opening all over the country. It's not everywhere yet. And so you have to be careful about where you go and you want to absolutely be certain that the programs are in place where they know how to deal with anaphylaxis. They know how to deal with reactions. They've dealt in OIT before. This is not something to be taken lightly. And the great news is that it's coming fast and furious and it will come everywhere and sooner than we think, thanks to doctors like Kari. Sloan, do parents need to worry about cross-contamination? Sadly, yes, they do. We worry about it all the time, which is why OIT and the end of food allergy brings us such hope because you just can't trust anything or anywhere. You go to a restaurant and the waiter, who means well, honestly, nobody means to make anybody sick, but a mistake has been made in the kitchen. A hand touched a peanut dessert and then wiped a plate that was going to have a dinner on it. I mean, you can imagine that in a busy kitchen, things like that can occur or the waiter misunderstood when the chef told them what was in an actual food. And that happened to us many times. I remember we were in California. My daughter ordered a certain dessert. I asked five times to the waiter. I said, you have to understand she'll die if she eats a tree nut. And she ate the dessert. And, you know, children who are highly allergic, like my daughter, she knew within a millisecond. And it's happened to us all over the world. She knows right away. The minute it touches her lips, she knows. And the anxiety begins. And then, of course, the, the food allergy starts its ugly magic. And it can be very, very frightening. And then you have your EpiPen and you hope that you don't have to go to the ER or, God forbid, any worse than that. It sounds like parents who have children with food allergies are constantly on edge. They're, they're like walking on eggs, pardon that pun. And I suspect for the children themselves, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety associated with airplane flying, you know, when the nuts are every place or when they're at the school cafeteria and, and kids are passing around desserts or, or other foods like peanut and jelly sandwiches peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I'm wondering just the emotional toll on parents as well as children. It's great. And that's why we tried in our book, The End of Food Allergy, to talk a lot about it. It was so important to me to talk about the emotional toll. My daughters had enormous anxiety from her food allergy because it doesn't stop when they're little. You're right. There's peanut butter and jelly. The schools are doing a better job of that but it still exists. And then they get older and they're out in the world and they don't know if the kids they're hanging out with just ate a Reese's peanut butter cup or what they're going to eat in a restaurant. So it's not something that ends when they're little. It doesn't end in the lunchroom. It goes on and on for the rest of their lives. And that's why we wrote this book. That's why the end of food allergy brings us such enormous hope and really a solution to people who've had to live with trauma their whole lives. 
What suggestions do you have for children, teenagers, and young adults who are living with the challenges of food allergy? That's a great question. I think the answer to that is that, again, there is hope. There is a solution around the corner. In the meantime, you should be very careful to always have your EpiPen with you, to ask a lot of questions, never to be embarrassed to ask, to lobby in your schools, to have safer lunchrooms. Um, all of these things can make your life safer. And to know that there is a solution around the corner. And if it's not in your backyard yet, it will be soon enough. And that's the promise of the end of food allergy, our book. Sloan Barnett, thank you for writing the book and thank you for talking with us on the People's Pharmacy today. So grateful to be here. You've been listening to Sloan Barnett, author of Green Goes With Everything and co-author with Dr. Kari Nadeau of The End of Food Allergy, the first program to prevent and reverse a 21st century epidemic. We turn now to Sloan Barnett's co-author, Dr. Kari Nadeau. She's the director of the Sean Ann Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University and is one of the world's leading experts on food allergy. Dr. Nadeau holds the Natasi Foundation Professorship in Medicine and Pediatrics at Stanford University. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Kari Nadeau. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here with the both of you on People's Pharmacy. Thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Nadeau, we've just spoken with your co-author, Sloan Barnett, about her children and how they had their food allergies reversed through your program. Before we get into those details, can you explain why you call food allergies an epidemic? Thanks so much. It's a great question. We initially saw with our colleagues around the world an upswing in the 1940s, 1960s, 1970s in the amount of people that were having doctor's diagnosis of food allergies like milk and peanut. And now there are other foods that people are becoming allergic to around the world, wheat, and sesame, and cashew, and walnut, and many other foods, including shrimp and fish. And so not only do we see an increase in the numbers of people that have food allergies, children and adults alike, as well as other countries throughout the world saying now they are seeing more food allergies in their own countries, but it's also to a wider spread of foods. So it's an epidemic on many levels. Why do you think it's on the upswing? Why, why do you think we now have an epidemic? Did we used to have this kind of problem 100 years ago? It's an excellent question. A lot of patients ask the same question, as well as people that don't have food allergies. Why is this increasing in our globe and in our society? And it's true, 100 years ago, it was not at the level that it is now. And there are probably a lot of different factors and a lot of factors that aren't necessarily the one that you can pinpoint and say, oh, that's the cause of this increase. But it's a gradual reason. And one of the reasons is because we live in a cleaner society. And so it's good to have some what we would call dirt from our microbiome and from the bacteria that's good bacteria in our gut to help provide an education to our immune system so that we can not have food allergies. But in addition to quote unquote good dirt, we still need vaccines. We still need to make sure that we can combat infections. But there are other reasons why people think the food allergy has increased around the world. Another is vitamin D, that if you have enough vitamin D levels, that also seems to decrease your risk of food allergies. There's Another D, I call it the five Ds. So we've talked about dirt, we've talked about vitamin D. And the third D is actually growing up with a dog at home. If you don't have allergies to a dog, it's great to know that if you grow up with a dog in your first year of life, it also tends to decrease your risk of food allergies as well as other allergies in, in general. The fourth D is actually having dry skin 
if you can avoid having dry skin and using a lot of detergents, especially during infancy, that also will help reduce your risk of food allergies. And then finally, and probably most importantly, is to diversify your diet early on. It used to be thought, and well-meaning people made guidelines in the year 2000. Once they saw this epidemic, they said, oh, let's try to avoid egg and milk and fish and peanut for our babies until they're about one or two or three years old. But in fact, that increased the epidemic quite substantially. And so now, thanks to a lot of people around the world, and I talk about this in the book, it's much better to diversify the diet of infants early and often and regularly. And our colleagues in Europe have shown that. Our colleagues around the world have shown that definitively, that if we can show our guts different proteins of foods that are natural to us, then they will have a much lower chance of having food allergy as they get older. So those are the five Ds. And there's a lot of questions about DNA, about the sixth D, which is do genetics play a role? And to some extent, if you have a family with food allergies and allergies, yes, there's a strong tendency for those families to continue to have allergies in their family and in their children. However, most families and most children with food allergies and most adults with food allergies do not have a family history. So it's very important to understand the interaction of the environment and our genetics. So in short, what we like to say and what still needs to be tested is that through the skin, allergies can begin and through the diet, allergies can stay quiet. Perhaps before we explore that a little further, we should actually define food allergy. People use the terminology to describe a lot of different things, but you're talking about something very specific, aren't you? Thanks. That's a very important question to answer. And the definition of food allergy is very specific to a doctor, to a clinician, to a nutritionist. And that means that when you swallow a piece of food, no matter what the dose, you can get reactions that include hives or red spots on your skin that itch. Mostly that's the reaction. And it occurs within a certain time period, usually within two hours of eating the food. And other reactions that are allergic in nature are itchy eyes, runny nose, congested nose, sneezing, itchy throat, wheezing, difficulty with mucus, as well as coughing. And then finally, people can have abdominal symptoms and nausea or vomiting. And then systemically, you can actually have a lowering of your blood pressure. And the wheezing, the difficulty breathing, and the dropping of the blood pressure are some of the more severe symptoms that we really like to watch out for And food allergy in specific, when you define it that way, then you really need to take it seriously because if you have wheezing, if you have a drop in your blood pressure, that is anaphylaxis. That could be life-threatening. And that's where if you have a doctor's diagnosis of food allergy, you need to carry an injectable epinephrine device. That is very different from a food sensitivity. Someone who has a food sensitivity oftentimes That's like a lactose intolerance, where if you eat a dairy product, you might have some bloating. With food allergies, you don't have bloating. Some people, when they eat certain spices or MSG, for example, monosodium glutamate in food, that can cause a headache. That is not a food allergy. That is a food sensitivity. And then finally, we have celiac, which is also an immune reaction to gluten in the wheat, but that's not a food allergy. That is like a sensitivity, but that sensitivity can be genetic in its origin and it can be severe in providing the person that has celiac a lot of symptoms and, for example, diarrhea or other issues. So all of these things we take seriously, food allergy, food sensitivity, and wheat sensitivities like celiac. However, food allergy is the only one that can cause 
an anaphylactic, life-threatening reaction within two to three hours of eating that food. Dr. Nadeau, I, I'm kind of fascinated by what most people think about when they think food allergy. And you have a picture. You have a peanut on the cover of your book. And I, I think that's what people assume is the problem. You know, it, it's it's peanuts. And if we just got rid of peanuts or were careful about peanuts, away goes the problem. No more anaphylaxis. But people can be very severely allergic to lots of food, and, and they really need to have that EpiPen, that epinephrine injection handy if indeed they are susceptible, that is to say, allergic to something. Can you tell us a little bit more about why epinephrine is so critical and, and the reaction can happen after 20 or 30 minutes? It's not always instantaneous. And then maybe what some of those other foods are that can trigger it. Yes, thank you. The injectable epinephrine device, and many different companies make different forms, and it's really important to talk to your allergist as to how to use it and when to use it. But the injectable epinephrine comes in different types of devices. Some are more rectangular and some are more circular. But the most important thing is that they are used quickly and that you know how to use them before you actually have the event. And what we like to tell our patients at Stanford is that when they have wheezing, when they have excruciating abdominal pain or lots of vomiting or any dizziness that they should use it right away. And that's very important because if it doesn't work within a minute, you should also give yourself a second injection. So you should always carry two at all times. And the people that you work with or the people that are in your household or school teachers or where you are located most of the day, other people should also know how to use them so that if you are not able to inject yourself, that other people can inject those for you. They are life-saving medicines. They need to be used immediately. Most people reach for the Benadryl or reach for another type of medication because people think that somehow the shot is uh, something they want to avoid, but they should not. The needle itself is very thin. It's very easy to use. Many people have told me that they wish they would have known how easy it was to use because it provides immediate relief. It's very important to know that it's the only therapy that actually reverses anaphylaxis. No other drug can. So that epi device is very important to use. You're listening to Dr. Kari Nadeau. She's the director of the Sean N. Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University and is one of the world's leading experts on food allergy. The book she co-authored with Sloan Barnett is The End of Food Allergy. After the break, we'll find out what to do after giving an epinephrine injection. Peanuts are not the only foods that can trigger allergic reactions. What are some others? How are food allergies diagnosed? Avoidance used to be the standard strategy. How could it be counterproductive? We'll find out just how oral immunotherapy actually works. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Verisana.com. Verisana Lab offers home health tests that allow you to monitor your hormones and health conditions. You can take control of the quantitative assessment of your health and learn about male and female hormone balance, the stress hormone cortisol, leaky gut, gluten intolerance, or your gut microbiome. Take a more active role in tracking your health and take 20% off your first order of a mail-in testing opportunity with the discount code PEOPLE. That's uppercase P-E-O-P-L-E. To learn more, go to verisana.com. That's V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com.
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Memory Plus, a supplement with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, the plant-based nutrients from fresh cocoa that help support memory. More information at cocovia.com. Also by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. Our topic today is oral immunotherapy, a unique innovation for treating food allergies. We've spoken with a mother whose children were treated successfully, and we're now talking with the doctor who developed the treatment. Our guest is Dr. Kari Nadeau. She's the director of the Sean N. Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University and is one of the world's leading experts on food allergy. Dr. Nadeau holds the Natasi Foundation Professorship in Medicine and Pediatrics at Stanford University. The book she co-authored with Sloan Barnett is The End of Food Allergy, the first program to prevent and reverse a 21st century epidemic. Dr. Nadeau, once someone has given themselves an epinephrine injection, do they then also need to go right away to the emergency room? Yes. When someone uses an injectable epinephrine device, they should go to their nearest emergency room. Now, importantly, is the fact that they gave themselves that medicine. It is the most important part of the program, that when the time comes and they actually arrive in the emergency room, typically the reaction has stopped. But it's important to go there because there is something called a second wave, and it's very rare, but it's important to be in an emergency room to make sure that a second wave of the reaction does not happen. So please, if you have to use an injectable FNF device or a loved one or one of your students or a coach has to use it, please tell the person to go to the emergency room. And Dr. Nadeau, what about other foods besides peanuts? Because I think we've clearly oversimplified food allergy when we pick on just one food. Yes, this is such an amazing flexion point in time because we have now, for the first time, an FDA-approved therapy for peanut allergy. But peanuts are not the only food allergy that exists in the globe. In fact, in other countries, their main allergy is hazelnut or walnut or wheat or milk. They look at peanut and they think, oh, that's a typical U.S. problem, but not in our country. So it's really important to know that different countries have different food allergies, but around the globe, there are eight that are in the top category that represent 90% of all food allergies. And most people with food allergy have multiple food allergies. And that was found by my colleague in Chicago who did an enormous epidemiological study. So we can't just think about it as peanuts. And in fact, for any one person, if they have a food allergy to milk or to cashew or to sesame seed, all of those foods can cause anaphylaxis just like peanut can. It's just that we hear about peanut more because it tends to be more associated with anaphylaxis, but it's not that the other foods are not associated with anaphylaxis. They certainly are. And some of the worst reactions that I have seen are to milk or cashew or even to mustard. And all of these things you need to discuss with your allergist because if you are found to have a food allergy to that food, whatever it may be, you have a chance of anaphylaxis and should always carry an injectable epinephrine device. I think we want to focus on peanut because of the therapy but not because we think that it's the only food allergen. How are food allergies diagnosed? So when you have a food allergy, oftentimes the first time that you know you have a food allergy is after you eat the food and you start to have a reaction. You oftentimes have to diagnose it yourself. And then you get an appointment with an allergist and you get something called a skin prick test. And that can verify that indeed your skin reacts to a small prick of that food. And then you know that you have a food allergic reaction on your skin. But the gold standard is to actually have a person sit in the office of a well-trained allergist, a board-certified allergist, 
And then with their team, they slowly and carefully give you increasing amounts of that food and they see if they can replicate the reaction. If they can, that's the gold standard diagnosis. You can also do blood tests and those blood tests help you as well. And that can confirm your food allergy. Oftentimes now the other way to diagnose a food allergy is if a child, for example, has peanut or as in most of the cases, multiple food allergies, they will get a blood test or a skin test to many different foods at once. And sometimes you find out you have an other food reaction before you even eat it because you're just getting assessed for all of the food allergies. Since you already have one food allergy, your doctor will automatically test you for other food allergies with skin prick testing or blood testing. But the gold standard is the actual food challenge. Dr. Nadeau, you you mentioned that in the bad old days, avoidance was the name of the game. I mean, that that's what most health professionals believed was appropriate. And parents had to go to extreme measures to protect their children from a particular food like, like peanuts or, or maybe cashews. And now we have new thinking, in part thanks to your research. Can you tell us a little bit about why avoidance was counterproductive and what immunotherapy means, or another term, oral tolerization or desensitization. Bring us up to speed on the new thinking about food allergy. In the old days, well-meaning people tried to make guidelines for this epidemic because people around the world were demanding answers. But unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of data, even back in the year 2000. And I remember when I was training and when I had my children that we were all being told, okay, avoid cow's milk, avoid egg. And it seemed counterintuitive because my grandmother and my mother would say, no, 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 on the farm, we fed whatever we could to our children. We breastfed and then we fed them whatever the parents were eating. But overall, that children, when they turn around four to six months of age, naturally are exploring their environment. They're starting to crawl. They're starting to explore different foods and tastes. And importantly, many people around the world have shown that if you diversify, if you start to introduce foods early, you do have a much lower rate of food allergies. And so with that, those guidelines that were initially prepared by well-meaning people because they were afraid and they were being very cautious, there was no reason to believe that by avoiding those foods, you actually were decreasing your risk of allergy. In fact, we saw the opposite, that after those guidelines were made, the epidemic started to increase. So that's when people started to question those guidelines and said, wait a minute, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we should have listened to our grandparents. And they never did this. They actually started to introduce foods early. And so we went back to what our ancestors did, which is to give children, still breastfeed, but give children those diverse foods that are on the table. And so we had the same concept for prevention when I was at Stanford, when I learned about what we call the LEAP study, which was published in the New England Journal by a colleague of mine, Gideon Lack, who started to feed babies Bamba. And it's a very famous story. And probably many of your listeners have read this article where children eat little bits of peanut early and often, they can decrease their food allergy risk to peanut, not to other foods, quite substantially, about eightfold. And that was a great story. And so I thought, wait a minute, we should do this for all food allergens. Let's do it for cashew and fish and wheat and sesame and garbanzo beans and other items. So could we put this all into one small unit of food to make it easy for a baby to eat? And so at Stanford, we patented this technology, and then we created a company called Before Brands, and now we have a product called Spoonful One, which we're really excited about, and it's now being given to babies in China and to babies in the U.S. and uh, all throughout the world. So we're really excited that the era of prevention is now, that we have enough knowledge compared to before, we have enough data compared to before to have a safe way to prevent 
food allergy. So this product that is being given to babies in China and the U.S. and goodness knows where else, what kind of product is it? Is it like porridge or is it something else? So we have different forms and there are many companies now in this space. We're excited that our first form was a packet of dried protein that was very stable and had 16 different foods in it. And those foods were dosed in a way with very small servings so that there was no risk of having a severe reaction to those foods, even if you did have a food allergy by chance. So we had a packet of dried proteins. And then we also had little puffs uh, that are easy to grab for babies. And then we also have cookies. So all of these things we try to make into an enjoyable product that would be easily available to families to feed their infants. Tell us how this idea of oral immunotherapy actually works. I think that the era of immunotherapy is so exciting. We are now entering into it as food allergists. And for me and my colleagues to be able to offer products to our patients is fantastic that we so far up to now have been doing clinical trials, but this year the FDA approved the first product, which is called Palforzia for peanut. And it is part of oral immunotherapy. But let's go back to the 1900s because in the 1900, we have the first ever published work where a doctor gave a child with egg allergy little bits of egg to desensitize them, and it worked. And so this was published for the first time in a journal called Lancet, and it was very exciting for everyone to see that this daily, regular use of a food in someone that already has a food allergy worked to build up immune muscle to be able to desensitize or tolerize someone to that food. So in terms of how it works, what you do is depending on the food allergen, you have to give back the very same food allergen that the person is allergic to. For example, if you have egg allergy and I give you peanut to desensitize you, it won't work. I have to give you back your egg allergen to be able to desensitize you. And literally what happens is every day, that you give that food allergen back to the person with food allergy, you build up immune muscle. Your body starts to say, wait a minute, this is natural. This is not something foreign. I don't need to vent an allergic reaction to this. And in fact, the food allergen, by giving it every day, your immune system starts to turn off those allergen signals. And over time, many people can develop a different threshold of reactivity. So they might have had a reaction to, let's say, a very small amount of milk, maybe two milligrams, literally little drops of milk. But then over time, they can tolerate a whole glass of four ounces of milk without having a reaction. And that's what we call the process of desensitization. That oftentimes can take six months to a year, depending on the person. And what we have found, as well as my colleagues throughout the world, is that you have to give it every day. You have to give it regularly. If you try to give it every week or every month, if I gave a child with milk allergy the milk desensitization every Sunday instead of every day, I would probably wind up sensitizing that individual rather than desensitizing that individual. So it has to be regularly done and probably every day is best or every other day. Dr. Nadeau, what are the dangers, the downside of this type of immunotherapy? Thanks. Any immunotherapy has side effects. With allergen therapy, you need to discuss with your doctor and you can have allergic reactions along the way, but they're manageable and as long as you move forward with a doctor and a good team of individuals, then at the end, you can improve your desensitization. But this isn't for everyone. It's important to know that you have to talk to your doctor, see if this is right for you. People can have reactions over time, so you need to make sure you don't do this at home. 
And it's exciting that there is a drug now that's approved by the FDA for immunotherapy. But I think we need to know that that's just the beginning. How can a parent find a doctor who is knowledgeable about this? Thank you. We talk about that in the book. We give resource section. There's also a website for the end of food allergy book that you can click and find a doctor near you. Uh, But importantly is that clinical trials are the best way to look at getting access to food allergy and immunotherapy because most are still in the research phase and the clinical trials are terrific around the country. The people that enroll in them really are the pioneers and the heroes of these stories. But importantly is you can go on a website called clinicaltrials.gov and look at clinical trials near you. And Dr. Nadeau, you are actually leading several clinical trials, maybe about two dozen. What is exciting to you about the future treatments for this condition? I'm very excited about many things. There are vaccines that are coming out for food allergy. There are biological that could decrease the risk of any safety reactions while people are eating their food allergy and immunotherapy. And there are blocking antibodies that could actually try to even block a food allergy reaction completely. All of these things we're really excited about. And the other item that I'm very excited about is the potential to treat someone simultaneously for all of their food allergies, like with a company like Aladop that has a mixture of foods that you give all at once. So there are a lot of exciting processes and programs for therapy What's very important to note is that the FDA and standards of regulatory compliance around the world need to be met to be able to have something brought to all of the people around the world as therapy. Dr. Kari Nadeau, thank you so much for writing The End of Food Allergy and for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Kari Nadeau. That's N-A-D-E-A-U. She's the director of the Sean N. Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University and is one of the world's leading experts on food allergy. Dr. Nadeau holds the Natasee Foundation Professorship in Medicine and Pediatrics at Stanford University. The book she co-authored with Sloan Barnett is The End of Food Allergy, the first program to prevent and reverse a 21st century epidemic. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wodarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. The People's Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizona, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. And by Coco Via Memory Plus, a cocoflavanol supplement backed by four clinical studies that show significant improvement in three different aspects of memory. More information at cocovia.com. To buy a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy episode, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1,229. That number again, 800-732-2334, on the web at peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit the website, you can share your thoughts about today's show. You can subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast provider. It's posted on our website every Monday morning. At our website, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about COVID-19 and other important health stories. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. 
All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.